0: Hi, folks and welcome to this week's episode of the prestige a podcast for film lovers by film lovers each week we pick a film we review that film we discuss that film and some of the ideas and themes that it throws up and always we end the episode with our recommendations further reading if you will based on this week's movie but we always start off by talking about what else you've been watching what are things that we've enjoyed be it music books comics tv movies anything like that so sam what have you got for us this week
1: i haven't got a lot to talk about but i will just say that taskmaster's back and i love it um, it was started by alex horn at the Edinburgh fringe about 10 years ago Um, started off as a, a bit of a sort of in joke, late night thing between comedians, and it's become this hugely successful you know, flagship program in Dave's ideas about uh, new programming. It's one one of the things they've invested money in, um, and it's brilliant. It's on Dave TV, and it's uh, Alex Horn and Greg Davis, and then a, I suppose a, a rotating cast of comedians doing ridiculous challenges which are like the generation game only just insane um and it's a lot of fun so i'm enjoying the latest season of that season six the most recent one that's been commissioned for three more beyond that so i'm looking forward to those how about you rob
0: i have seen avengers infinity war right ...this is obviously the big filmic event of the moment... ...the big filmic uh, sort of thing going on... ...so I have, because of, obviously, young kids... ...not had the time to go and see it up until this week... ...but Sarah and I had a weekend in which we caught up on the Marvel films we haven't seen... ...so we watched the new Spider-Man and we watched Doctor Strange... ...so that we were all caught up and ready on uh, Wednesday to pick up with Infinity War. Um, Of those three films, I will touch briefly that Spider-Man Homecoming is brilliant... Doctor Strange is all right, nothing special. Um, it looks lovely, but uh, it's essentially Iron Man all over again. But Infinity War is a very enjoyable experience. It is unlike any film I've ever seen in my entire life, and I'm not even sure I could even class it as a film or even a narrative or a movie or anything. It's a, it's a entirely a beast all to its own. But I very much enjoyed that beast. I'm very looking forward to the next instalment next year. Um, no one really needs to, to talk about it. Everyone, everywhere, can talk about it. Um, but if you are a fan of the Marvel series, or you have been keeping up with the, I think, 17 films prior to this one, um, this one is well worth uh, checking out. It is yeah, it's it, it is the culmination of 10 years of Marvel films, and I very much enjoyed it. I can see some people didn't. Um, some people really didn't get on board with it. Um, but it is, it is exactly what you want from a comic book crossover event movie.
1: Well, I look forward to seeing that in 2022. <laughs> Uh, So, this week we are barking on a new mini-season, taking on a new director, and looking at the work of Baz Luhrmann, starting with his 1992 film Strictly Boreham. One, two, three, four, seven... Samba! He had the world at his feet. Come
0: on, number 100! He had the moves. Flashy, crowd-pleasing steps. He had the magic... I keep asking myself why. Did I fail him as a mother? He had the music. The Paga Paga's Rudy you
1: remember? Tango, please. The
0: one thing he needed was a partner.
1: Strictly Boring is Buzz Luhrmann's first film and is adapted from a stage play co-written by Luhrmann himself in 1984. Uh, told in sort of mockumentary style, it follows the fortunes of Scott Hastings, played by Paul Mercurio, is a champion dancer whose decision to go against the grain of what's expected leads to his being ostracised. Pairing with an unknown, played by Tyrone is the only way for him to get back into competition and it's about the road back to competition for him as well as the relationships with other characters named particularly his mother and his father. So, Rob, what were your thoughts? This film,
0: is, I'm going to tell a bit of a story here, guys. Ever since we started doing this podcast way, way three years ago, my friend Liz has been banging on me to do Tricky Ballroom. She loves this film. She loves this film. She was so excited when she found out that we were doing it as part of our Bad at Lemon series. And watching it again, watching it um, this week, it dawned on me A, I've probably seen the first half an hour before. It just it was very reminiscent and kind of really twigged with me. Um oh, I have seen it before, but I luckily hadn't seen it to the end. And it's strange when one of your good friends is this keen on a movie, you feel like A, you've got to like it. Um unlike me and Sam, who are quite willing to lay into each other's favourites, when it's someone who isn't on the show, I feel like I felt like I've had a duty to kind of like their movie. Um so I went into it with some trepidation and some expectations. And I must say I very much enjoyed this film. I thought it was very fun. I mean, I'm not a dancer and I've never sort of understood the allure of this kind of thing. I think strictly like strictly gum dancing on the BBC or dancing with the stars as it is in the US or around the world. Never appealed to me. I've never never sort of got on board with that as as a mode of entertainment. But this film I really enjoyed and I think it's part of the sort of the antipodean humour um, it's part of the uh, New Zealand-Australian humour that comes with it that I very much got on board with. So whilst I wasn't down with the dancing, I wasn't against it, it, just didn't do it for me. I enjoyed the humour, I enjoyed the camera work that brought that humour forwards. And I think that the story that they tell, whilst being essentially a sports narrative told in the world of competitive dancing, it is a sports film, uh, as we previously discussed, I still got on board with it, you know. I, I enjoyed the undog status. I enjoyed the kind of the road to redemption of the main character, um, and I enjoyed the comeuppance of the antagonists of this world that they're bringing to us. Um, but yeah, it was it was a good, fun yarn for me to enjoy. What about you, Sam?
1: I felt, well, much the same, really. Um, we similarly, we'd kind of seen the film on the beginning of the film beforehand and then um forgotten about it. Uh, because I was convinced I hadn't seen this film and then my wife assures me that I saw it about ten years ago. Um so the fact that it didn't make much impression isn't a great sign, but I thought it was it was good fun. It was as you say there, and I suppose I hadn't thought about this until we started doing this podcast, but it's something that we saw with what's the was it Warrior? It, it's a, a essentially a sports film in the in the mould presented in in a particular environment, and I very much enjoyed that. I like the central performances, although I understand that they're dancers, not actors, so you won't necessarily have seen them shining elsewhere. Um, I thought that was part of the charm of this film, really, the fact that it was sort of done in this gritty mockumentary style and it was about people who weren't necessarily actors. I enjoyed that. And I noticed a couple of editing things that Baz Luhrmann goes on to use later in his career. And mm. it, looked, it looked good, and it was a fine length for a film, and I thoroughly enjoyed it.
0: Fair enough. Now, you mentioned the, the, the mockumentary style. This is one, one thing that was, I only noticed after the fact when thinking on this film. The mockumentary style only kind of lasts the first half an hour.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: It felt like we were opened with a, a, a speaking to camera, apparently of the mother and of the uh, the partner and a few other people. But that was sort of forlorn but he's pretty soon on. Um, and the opening flashback, which it kind of is a flashback about his uh, his first dance, which kind of gets boxed in and goes off piste. Once we kind of got to up to date, they kind of threw away that aesthetic. Mm. Um, and, that's not a bad thing. One of the things I enjoy about this film is the way that it shifts from aesthetic to aesthetic. Yes. So we have, you know, this mockumentary style. We have, at some points, very, very sort of gritty realism. We have the flashbacks of his dad, which are kind of plays being performed. It's like an in movie performance. Mm. Um, it, it, isn't, it certainly isn't naturalistic in any kind of way that the, the, the main narrative is. Um, and then we have, certain towards the end, we start moving towards fantasy um especially their final dance routine um in which they both kind of turn up with extravagant outfits um and dance their hearts out and there's a certain amount of sort of wish fulfillment in that ending and certain amounts of fantastical um sort of performances going on there and i really like that i like this film just kind of just Managed to just pick up and drop any aesthetic, any style it needed for that scene, and then just moved on. Mm. It, wasn't, it didn't feel bound by having to be a mockumentary throughout. It didn't feel bound to being some sort of surrealist nightmare. It didn't feel bound by being this kind of fantastical ending. just kind of, well, now we need this, so we'll just reach into our bag of tricks and pull out you know, this this style of directing and acting and, and cinematography because it will serve this one scene.
1: It's a really good point, actually. It's one of the things that I don't always engage with mockumentaries I suppose I quite like the the UK office and then it got a bit cringy for me after a while but one of the things that I don't like about mockumentaries after some time is that it just it just feels a bit tired this sort of coming back to the same Winkster camera and breaking mm. the fourth wall and that was, that was something that was really good about this film, that you had the mockumentary bit at the beginning, and like I said, okay, I'm done with that, I'm going to drop it, I'm going to move on. So it doesn't tire the audience's patience.
0: I felt this, that the decision to do this could be piecemeal. We've had we've, we've discussed films in the past where they can't seem to settle on a style and it ends up being something to When we talked about um, Veronica Guerin a while back, it couldn't seem to pick whether it was going to be kind of darkly comedic or light-hearted. Hmm. Um, or really grim and gritty. It couldn't pick its place. Whereas this, it, it has that through line, the really strong through line of the dancing and the main performances. And, you know, it has a comedy running through all of these styles. I felt it managed to attack these things on the side quite successfully.
1: Hmm.
0: I think it also kind of ties back to, um, if you want to uh, to put a more recent v- film with a similar style, um, it's uh, Thor Ragnarok. I can't remember if you've seen Thor Ragnarok yet, Sam. I have, no so Thor Ragnarok uh, by Taika Waititi is a Thor film and in the Marvel canon so it certainly serves a couple of masters of, of the overall franchise but it has that kind of very flight of the con called Kiwi sense of humour while at the same time being quite a family drama and there's a lot of death and violence in the movie and sadness to this movie and growth but also deeply comedic moments but because it has these through lines of the performances and through lines of, of the comedy you can tack these different styles on it I think this is a very similar sort of trick they're pulling
1: I wondered whether, because the, so the 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 sort of theme behind this film is one of sort of battling against how things have always been done or reacting to convention. That's what Scott's doing in his dancing. Um, mm. And it's what the the characters are often talking about. But I wonder to what extent Lerman is doing this with his filmmaking.
0: I think you're very, very right. I think, you yeah, this as as they call it in the movie, you know, doing your own steps. Hmm. Um and there's this kind of and, and there is this big sort of what's the word for it? Like a received with a received wisdom in the dance scene of, you know, well that the, these steps, you dance these steps. You know, and it isn't you can't do other steps, but you very much should do these steps. And that's the that receive wisdom of this is how things are done. Um and I think that, you know, Basil Levin's certainly echoing that. He comes from theatre before he was um uh movies hmm. and i imagine in, in my experience of theater and what he's working at there are presumptions on how theater is done yeah. especially how musical theater is done now these days i think we, we live in a different world we've got different worlds of, of hamilton um and that kind of thing that have ended oh, that apple cart a little bit but you know 10 15 20 years ago you know musical theater was Andrew lloyd webber and that was it
1: hmm.
0: um and i can see the frustration building up and someone like Baz Luhrmann who certainly has a visual flair and desire to do different kind of things, coming up against that, this well, this is how we do musical theatre. This is how we do theatre. Yeah, I can see that certainly driving this movie forwards in terms of, you know, I'm I'm as a creative um, pigeonholed into doing someone else's steps. So I'm going to write a story about that. And when I make my movie, I'm going to do my own steps. I'm going to do things yeah. my way. I'm going to do these really almost grotesque close-ups of of the people who i don't care for i'm gonna cast nobodies i'm going to have you know the the, the hero's journey um become, he, he he's validated at the end and doing his own steps but he still needs to learn you know he, it isn't like he starts being actually I'm, I'm i'm brilliant um and you don't recognize it and it's about teaching everyone else to recognize that it's about him learning to be better and also everyone else recognizing it
1: yes so that and the, hero, the, the journey that, that was something that really stuck out for me, was sort of, I suppose, 60% of the way through the film was um, Francesca's dad saying to him, basically, you're rubbish, you need to get better. Mm. And that was really refreshing, because like you said, it's not just, uh, he's misunderstood genius, he's amazing right from the start, and people need to understand that. he's he, He's not good. For what he wants to be doing, he's he is insufficient in some way. Yes, it, it's that.
0: I think it's Spanish. Spanish, Mexican mother who teaches yes. him rhythm. Yeah. He teaches him, you know, passion, the pasodoble, um, and it is. You know, he's he has these dreams, and that's that's true. He has these dreams, and those dreams are important. Um, but you've got to still have to learn. You know, just having the dream of doing something more is not enough, and you've got to bring it. I think that, you know if you want to draw that parallel in that in the film. Baz Lerman's dream and, and the creative team here, their dream to make this movie, only works because they are marrying it with technical skill. And the film is wonderfully shot. The colours and the framing is brilliant in this movie. It's edited tightly. The acting performances, whilst clearly they are dancers before they are, are actors, that they work. Especially the mother. The mother and the father, particularly, I thought, had strong performances. They're very effective performances, and they certainly match in this kind of movie. But I very much enjoyed them. I thought that they, they were fitting for this kind of thing it was trying to do. So I think here, you know, if you want to draw these, these kind of these almost triplicate parallels of the movie, its narrative and its creators, there is this marrying of technical skill against its against its its dreams of narrative uh, mm. sort of invention.
1: Yeah, something I did I did find really quite affecting was the relationship between Scott and his father. Or his father being pigeonholed by his mother and by Les and Barry that he he was a failure in one way and and he was just come it it was Scott coming to terms with the fact that he'd misunderstood his father as well. I found that quite affecting.
0: Mm. You, you have a hint of it early on mm. when the scene with the father dances by himself in the empty dance studio. But yeah, there's certainly a his dad fades in the background. His mother is so shrill and so sort of in your face that you you kind of forget the dad. But he's just kind of there, quiet in the background. Mm. But he feels like that, like that's one of those small rocks that holds the world together for the, for this for this movie at least. And the rebuilding at the end in which the the dad tells him the truth of what happened. And in which, you know, it feels when you hear about the the story in which everyone's kind of ashamed of what happened. You know, apart from the the, the true antagonist, everyone is kind of ashamed what happened. And they kind of, no one wants to talk about this, you know, they've seen this before and they've seen how it ends. But mainly because they're all lied to about what happened. And because this truth that no one speaks—that you know, no one speaks their truth as to what actually happened at that time—you've got these three different sets of stories between between the father, the mother, and and the friend. It kind of just sort of collapses in itself at the end, and that truth allows them to connect as a father and son hmm. on a deeper level.
1: I said there was there was something else I wanted to talk about from from what you're saying and um, the way that. Lerman expresses like almost almost anger, his his frustration at being made to conform is. It comes out in that sort of devilish depiction of the characters he doesn't like. So the, the scene with with the old man, the judges just before the final competition is shot from below, and they're like almost hellish. These figures, mm-hmm. the, these figures having having a, a conversation where they they determine what's going to happen. And I did really enjoy that.
0: It's, they have they use this throughout the uh, movie. They use this technique of these of these fisheye lenses. Um, they get really mm. close to a person, and kind of then zoom wide out. So they get these bulbous noses and these sort of pronounced features because when they're close to the camera, and it gives them these really caricature, grotesque shots. They see it a lot with the, with the announcer, um, and when and you can see it through the movie, like if they're doing that and looking down on somebody. It's meant to be unpleasant, but there's a sympathy to that. Um, but when they then move that camera, you know, even half of low, and they start shooting, doing the same thing, but shooting up at somebody, that's when you start to get the sort of actually, this person isn't isn't great, isn't, nice, isn't a nice person. The bad guy and and his sort of cohort certainly get that. as You say that below camera shot, but they use the same technique above, and you know, it feels like with the with the dad and the mum who get that close up, but from slightly slightly above, they're contorted, they're disturbed and distorted by their world they're in. But there's a solution to undistort them. they're still, you know, if you take that camera and unbend it, as it were, and they do towards the end, they start unbending these these shots of these characters, the, the person resolves into being a normal looking person. Whereas with the people who are below, even if you unbend the world, there's still a horrific shot. It's still an unpleasant shot of that person. Um, and so even in the twisted world that they, if you untwist the world of lies around people, it's still unpleasant. They're still unpleasant people.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: Rob's camera theory one hundred
1: and one. <laughs> Marvelous. Um, do you have any recommendations for us based on the the aesthetic of this, or maybe on some of the people involved in its creation?
0: So I've got two two to recommend really um, this week. One of which is kind of thematic, kind of in, in a sort of sort of a way, which makes sense in a minute, And one of which is a following a crew member now. The cinematography on this, I've met this previously, even my camera moment there and the colours, I think is, is great. I think this film exactly evokes the world it's supposed to be in. Yeah, you know, You've got the, the sort of the slightly diseased, weird-looking family dynamic of, of the main character, the more earthy, naturalistic, the soft lighting of Fran's family, um, and then the fantasy sequences of the dancing towards the end. And the film is beautifully shot. And, I, and then that, you know, I think that's one of the biggest strengths of the way this movie looks. Um, and the cinematographer is someone called Steve Mason. He's gone on to do a lot of Baz Luhrmann movies, um, a lot of movies and TV over the years. But I'm going to recommend a film where I think that, as we discussed previously, he does the camera work to tell stories and make jokes. Um, and he does that elsewhere in a movie from about six years later, a movie that I love my wife absolutely hates. Um, and I kind of will always kind of champion it but it's very much of, of its time, and that's the 1998 film Basketball. Um, the creation of Trey Parker and um, Matt Stone, those of South Park fame, it tells the story of two dropouts who accidentally invent a game of basketball, sort of the merging of basketball and baseball, and the hijinks that ensue from there on um written and directed by david zucker it i think it's hilarious it's, it's a, a brilliant slice of 90s surreal comedy um it is of its time and i must say I haven't watched it in a while and i worry how well it it would hold up um but i i very much enjoyed it and it does that same work it uses camera work to tell jokes on top of actually using the words and the language to tell jokes and i think a lot of that lives with steve mason my second recommendation is more the thematic, more the sort of style of the movie, more the kind of feel of the movie. Um, and that is the film from two years later, 1994's... Uh, 1994's The Adventure of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Another Australian production, uh, this time by Stephen Elliott, starring Hugo Weaving, Guy Pearce, Terrence Stamp. It is a tale of three drag... to two uh, drag performers and a transgender woman who travel across America, the Australian desert. Um, to perform their cabaret wherever they go, it is the same mixture of sort of sadness at times and humor and real world mixing with sort of fantastical elements. It has a visual style, um, the uh, sort of the juxtaposition of these overly theatrical and these overly preened um performers and the sort of the harsh Australian outback in which they kind of exist. I very much enjoy it, and it has the same kind of feel to Strictly Come Dancing. No, to Strictly Ballroom. So, yeah, those are my two recommendations. What about you, Sam?
1: Great. I have two. One more of an aesthetic and one actor linked. Um, My aesthetic link is based on that mockumentary section at the beginning, Um, rather tangentially connected, but then it's one I wanted to champion. Um, from the following decade, 2006 2006's film Confetti, which is about um, competing couples looking to win a covered sort of best wedding of the year prize, or most, most original wedding of the year. And it's about the various couples involved. There are nudists and tennis players. And it stars lots of people you'd have heard of if you're in this country. Because it's just a who's who of British comedy in in the mid-2000s. So it's Martha Freeman and Olivia Coleman and Robert Webb. And it's just great fun. This is my first recommendation. The second recommendation is an actor link, and it's Gia Caridas, who was um, Liz in Strictly Boreham, and um, she was in a film from later in the decade, and not necessarily amazing film, but uh, a film that was a lot of fun and remains a lot of fun. i do not really talking about the rest in the series. I think it went... Fairly downhill after the verse 2 But um, Chia Queridos was in 1999's Austin Powers The Spy Who Shagged Me Starring Mike Myers And Heather Graham And I suspect this is one Like Basketball that won't Necessarily Have aged particularly well But I first saw it as a 15 year old boy And I found it quite funny So those are my Recommendations for this week
0: excellent cool i did toy with the austin powers recommendation myself um because I, I, like you it was a large part of my growing up um but i do fear how it would has aged um from mm. then onwards so guys next week we'll be back with the next part of the red curtain trilogy as Bazlum lemon called it uh, his follow-up romeo and juliet his take on the shakespearean classic till then guys you can find us both online at precious podcast on twitter
1: You can find just me at life underscore academic.
0: And you can find just me at Rob Kaiju. And we'll see you guys back here
1: next week.